0: It can seem like you you might you might be tempted to deprioritize the relationship building aspect uh, when it comes to grants because you have these like you know open applications, um, but you still have to remember that on the other end there's a person reading your application, um, and and also writing these applications is a lot of work. And if you can get some validation from the funder early on that you're on the right track, that it seems like this could be a successful partnership mutually, um, then you actually can feel more, um, you know, justified in actually investing your time in a particular application or a particular relationship.
1: Are you looking for ways to shorten your marketing learning curve and help your organization survive and thrive? Welcome to Relish This, the purpose marketing podcast, a show for purpose-focused leaders who want to use marketing techniques to fuel their organization's growth. If you're a returning listener and you haven't subscribed already, we'd love to have you. Also, please consider leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Now here's your host, author and marketing specialist, Stu Swineford Hey everybody, Stu here. Grants are a subject that come up a lot in the nonprofit space, as most of you, I am sure, are aware. And um, my guest today is Gari Monglik. And she is the co-founder and CEO of Instrumental, which is this really cool platform. It's like a CRM for um, grant writing. And as a nonprofit, it's really important to get good at grant writing, to understand that you are, whether or not you're ready for, for grant writing in general, um, because it can be a, a big endeavor and it's kind of a longer term play um, for nonprofits. We all kind of look to chase the money and see big dollar signs, but that doesn't necessarily mean that your organization is ready um, to actually go after grants. We had a really fun conversation about all sorts of things, mindset shifts, ways to leverage other tools, ways to leverage instrumental to be amazing at grant writing and, and to streamline your processes. I think that if you are in that space or considering grant writing, this is going to be a, a fantastic uh, episode for you. And here we go. Gari, how are you today?
0: I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me.
1: Oh, it is my pleasure. I'm really excited to have you on the show today. You are an expert, or your at least your platform that you built really helps nonprofits out in the grant making process or grant receiving process. I guess mm-hmm. um, I'm super excited to share all of your expertise and wisdom with uh, with the listeners because I know that a whole lot of people out there uh, struggle with that process. So, um, tell tell us all a little bit about your platform and and what you guys do.
0: Sure thing, yeah. So I run a company called Instrumental, uh, which helps nonprofits uh, be more successful with grants. Uh, We do everything end-to-end grants from helping you find the right grants, helping you research the funders in detail, helping you manage your pipeline, create a grant calendar, collaborate with your team, etc. But overall, be more successful and hopefully take the pain out of grants. And using our platform, we have over 2,000 customers and we're growing very quickly. And we find that folks that use Instrumental are able to increase their grant application output almost double um, while actually saving time um, just because we make the process so much more streamlined. Um, so, that's a bit about Instrumental.
1: No, that sounds amazing. I know that, uh, like I said, a lot of people really struggle with with the whole grant writing process. Does your platform, have you found that it improves people's conversion as well? Or, um, it, I mean, it just feels to me like whenever things can be streamlined, there's usually a, you know, kind of a holdover ROI effect on that as well.
0: Yeah. And so we, we you know, we ask our customers um, to tell us when they, when they win grants. And um, it's kind of a hard metric to report on in general, but I would say our customers tell us that they have found it four times easier to connect with um, good fit funders using instrumental. Um,
1: oh, that's great.
0: Yeah. And depending on so, the customer, right. It, it could be like, they're winning like millions of dollars of grants. If they're like a university or hospital or right. you could be winning you know, thousands of dollars worth of grants, which could still be a big deal to you if you're on the smaller end.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I know that a ton of nonprofits have grants as one of the primary ways that they actually fund their services and what they bring to the table. So, um anything that people can do to help streamline that process is is super helpful. Does your platform actually help with the you know finding of of potential grant resources as well?
0: Yeah, that's like that's one of the biggest um kind of pain points that we solve and I think that's, you know, from strategy standpoint, if you're working on grants, one of the most important things that um, you need to do is make sure that you are looking at a comprehensive data set of all of the opportunities and funders out there. Because if you don't have that, then your strategy is really limited, um, because you're not able to truly prioritize and see all your options. And so what Instrumental does is it's the most comprehensive database of active opportunities, um, as well as funders for nonprofits based in the US. And on top of that, we also match you to the opportunities and funders that are relevant to you, um, which is like a huge part of, of the pain is just like actually, you know, if you were to look through all of the funders that, you know, are based in your state or like gave to organizations in your, in your uh, cause area, you'd be going through so many funders. And so um, we try to actually use technology to make the process more, much more streamlined and giving you a set of initial set of more relevant matches.
1: Oh, that's great. So essentially you help a nonprofit grant uh, writer or, or leader or whatever, whoever's wearing that particular hat in, in that, uh, that organization, you not only help them kind of streamline the process of, of replying to, or, or answering grant requests or grant opportunities, but also help them narrow down the, the target people to reach out to. That sounds, that sounds amazing.
0: Yeah, I would say that like one of the things that um, we we realized in this space is that like there's a lot of moving pieces with grants. People have a lot of spreadsheets. It's messy. You know, somebody's done a bunch of work and then they leave. And, you know, you're in the middle of things with the funder and you haven't communicated that to other people at the organization. And so, a big value of the platform and and, and in general, you know, you could you could you know theoretically do this with with other tools as well. Is just like actually. Um, actually giving yourself like a workflow so that you can, mm-hmm. you can, you know, have a process of like starting with the comprehensive list and then actually narrowing it down and then having a place to store that and then making sure that you're not like re-researching the same thing like a month later.
1: <laughs> right. <sighs> yeah. That's great. It's like, it's almost like a CRM for a grant writing. It sounds like it's, uh, sounds, sounds really amazing. How, how did you get into the space and what, what brought you into not only just you know, becoming an expert in the in the grant process, but also the nonprofit space in general.
0: Yeah, so I came about this from a different perspective uh, than you know than my co-founders. My co-founders were the original domain experts, Angela and Catherine. They worked in the nonprofit space. They had also worked at funder, at a, one of them worked at a funder giving out grants. Another, uh, they both work, actually worked within academia writing grants um, within a university context. So they circled this problem from a lot of different perspectives and were really not impressed with the software landscape that existed to help them do their jobs. And I knew Angela personally, Angela is my wife now, Um, but at the time we, um, you know, we were, we were getting to know each other and I joined as like the product and tech person to Help bring their vision to life initially, um, and my, you know, I was in the, I was working at Airbnb doing as a as a product manager, and then prior to that, I had my own company that was in the in the tech space as well. And what I was really struck by when they were getting started was that there were a lot of like best practices and like customer obsession, a, little, a lot of customer focus um, that I was seeing in the for-profit tech space, and which caused there to be like better solutions that actually solved uh pain points for their customers and i just wasn't seeing that level of like product development in the nonprofit sector and they had identified an area that was like kind of unique like even more underserved you know because there are tons of like crms out there that are trying to you know and, and some of them are actually are actually pretty good from a usability standpoint but in the grant space we just were finding that um you know the existing tools that were out there were were really like far behind the times, and I was excited to kind of uh, bring my product and tech experience into this world.
1: Yeah, that's a, that sounds great. the The nonprofit space does seem like it tends to get a little bit lost in the in the mix and uh, and tends to be underserved. So it's really cool that you were able to see some blue sky there and and recognize that there was opportunity um, and and to capitalize on that. Um, so t- tell me about tell us all about the, the the process and and how um how you work with nonprofits and what what they might need to tee up before they they make a decision to uh you know to to use software like yours
0: sure yeah i would say that um you know the first thing it, that you need to try to figure out as an organization is if you're really ready to apply for grants um, is that the right strategy for you to take on at this time? And um, I often, like one thing that I, I commonly say is that grants tend to be a more advanced fundraising strategy and it may not be the right fit for you if you're really just getting started at the, with your nonprofit. And if you think about it, um, it kind of makes sense because with grants, you're going after institutional funders and institutional funders will tend to be more risk averse um because they're giving out larger sums of money like you know thousands hundreds of thousands millions of dollars whereas if you go after an individual um you know they're giving you they tend to be giving you lower sums of money and they tend to be um able to take riskier bets with that money and when you're getting started you're still proving out your programs the success of your programs you know you have a vision but you haven't quite like had like the right outcomes that you can use to um really prove that what you're doing like that you're actually on the right track and that is often what you need to be able to go and like win those larger dollar amounts so you know general suggestion is like to kind of get used kind of individuals and other means of of fundraising that are more um uh, that are more able to take on like a a less proven um situation so like if you're getting started that you're kind of like less proven um and then Mm -hmm. kind of work your way up to organizations that are more risk averse Um, So that's on that's on just like high level uh kind of making sure that you're thinking about how to layer in grants in in relation to your other uh, potential fundraising channels Um, and then you know once once you do have some um once if it seems like you're you're kind of getting there like other things to think about in terms of being grant ready is just like do you have those those outcomes that you can speak to um, and then if you are going to be going after grants, do you have the capacity internally um, to actually um, take that grant money and like make sure that that program is successful so that you can then report back to the funder and make make this kind of like longer term feedback cycle of, of grants make sense?
1: Right, because a lot of times grants seem like they are more restrictive in, in nature. Is, is that accurate? So, So as a nonprofit, you would want to make sure that you were ready for that um, that restriction potential.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, um, I mean, and part of that is actually just like, there's like some work that goes into like, actually like managing the grant and making sure that you are reporting back to the funder on your progress and making sure that Mm -hmm. you're kind of keeping track of those financials. And you want to make sure that you actually have the capacity to, to do that.
1: Yeah. I think that so many people get, you know, all excited about the, the, the revenue or the, the, the money opportunity, but forget about all of the other things that kind of come with it, um, that they're going to need to, to be able to, to manage and, and, um, keep track of. Um, so that's, that's really great advice. Is there, is there a litmus test or, or some, you know, something that nonprofits can can think about when they're trying to assess whether or not they're they're ready to really embark on a grant program are there are there certain milestones that you would say a nonprofit likely would be hitting uh, in order to be a good candidate for not only a, a grant program but uh, but engaging with with you at, at instrumental
0: yeah that's a good question I think the the biggest milestone is um, is being able to show some sort of some sort of like demonstrated success with an existing program, um, and, and be able to like speak to that, uh, and in a way that if a funder were to read your proposal, you know, they're, they're, they're going to feel like it's a no brainer, um, to fund you. I would say other things that, um, to think about in terms of like, whether or not you're ready for grants or like a milestone is like, is if you have the capabilities internally to like, Almost like commit to like a year and a half to two years of like of an investment of actually getting the grant flywheel going, and and if your organization doesn't really have that, then you might not. It might not be the right time um, because in addition to grants being like a little bit more advanced, um, it also is like a longer term ROI. Um, it's mm-hmm. I mean you can get lucky for sure and like kind of know somebody and and like kind of win a grant, but if you're actually trying to build like a regular pipeline of grants. Um, well, sometimes I see people make this mistake where they're like, you know, they, they kind of underestimate the overall like strategy and and the difficulty of it. And they'll just kind of apply to five grants and they won't win them. And then they'll kind of give up on the channel. And, and like, you know, they, if they had taken a longer term horizon and understood that it was, it it was a longer ROI, but it it takes a longer time to see a high ROI, then they would um, have approached the whole. Um, channel differently and and be more set up for success so like um what that might mean is like to make sure that you have the capabilities in house to like actually apply for like i would say like around a grant a month is like a good cadence when you're getting started out um, where it's like you have 12 shots on a goal in a given year um and you're also able to um and if you can do more that's great but you're also um, able to not do too much. So you're actually able to invest the time in making sure those funders are the right fit in terms of building relationships with that funder and making sure that you're writing a high quality grant application. Um, yeah, that's what i say there.
1: Yeah. So it sounds an awful lot like sales where, where when one goes into the sales kind of a program or, or, or part of a team, um, there's, it's really more than just, we're just going to spit some things out here. We we are really building relationships and trying to get an understanding of how we're doing, get feedback on, on the grants that we, that we do submit to, but maybe don't get, um, that it really, it really does become, you know, maybe not necessarily a full-time job, but a very dedicated portion of somebody's, uh, somebody's core responsibilities at at the nonprofit.
0: Yeah. Agreed. And, you know, I think it can seem like you you might you might be tempted to deprioritize the relationship building aspect uh, when it comes to grants because you have these like you know open applications, um, but right. you still have to remember that on the other end there's a person reading your application, um, and and also writing these applications is a lot of work. And if you can get some validation from the funder early on that you're on the right track, that it seems like this could be a successful partnership mutually, um, then you actually can feel more, um, you know, justified in actually investing your time in a particular application or a particular relationship.
1: Yeah. It almost sounds like an RFP process, uh, for, for those people who are familiar with that, with that, where a a company issues a a request for proposals, um, and, and then go, you go through that process and there's a, there's a lot of, Oftentimes there are a lot of hoops that you have to jump through in order to, to kind of successfully navigate that, that process. It sounds like the grant writing is, uh, has a similar
0: vibe to it. Yeah, for sure. And like, you know, I think in, in our, in, in, any sort of like application process, RFP process, um, if the person reviewing your application, like can remember, like if, if you're, you know, if you have some sort of social proof or like social validation or they've heard, you've talked to them before when they're reading your application right. they're just going to be like more engaged i think it's just human nature
1: yeah absolutely it's funny uh, here at relish studio we've we've responded to quite a few rfps over the years but the ones that i remember us actually winning were ones where i made a point of of you know getting a relationship going before we even replied to the RFP, um, where we would you know make sure that we got on either in in me- in person meetings and and kind of talk through. Our process got to hear, you know, a lot more about what they were doing. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, as opposed to just tossing a number over the fence, um, it became, it became something that, that I think they felt more comfortable with us just because they, you know, at that point, even though maybe we didn't know each other before they'd started the RFP process, um, they, I, I, you know, I can't speak for them necessarily, but I do believe that they, they maybe felt that they knew us a little bit better than some of the other candidates that were out there.
0: Yeah, totally. And I think that's where like the kind of ROI of grants is something to consider. Like when you actually do spend the time to like build those relationships, like you're going to see more reward, but it's going to take more time. And so do you as Mm -hmm. an organization actually have the capacity to do that? And if you do, then great, then maybe it makes sense to, to, to move forward on that. Yeah.
1: How do people go out and find the the best fit for for grant funding? what What's the process that you recommend, or what's the process that you that that you you help support over there at Instrumental?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that we you know have the best process because we are starting from the most comprehensive data set, and then we also have the most um, I would say like robust matching technology to connect. To like help you actually to help surface the opportunities that you're going to be most interested in and be, be that will be most relevant for you, and the way that it works is you'll sign up, you know, for Instrumental. We have a concept called projects, which is essentially like a program area. Most typically at your nonprofit, you'll fill out a particular program area that you're working on, and then we'll match you to both open opportunities um, where there's like an active call, almost like an RFP, um, as well as funders that maybe don't have a website or don't have an open opportunity where you just have the information from their 990 data. So we'll match you to both mm-hmm. of them. And the experience is kind of like an inbox where you can, you, know, you have all the information in one place, which is also really important. Um, but you also have equally important, I think is like a workflow and like a process to actually triage that information. So that like I was saying earlier, like if you, you know, save something or you, you, you bookmark something, the next time around you're doing a search, like you have that information stored because on a lot of these other tools and processes that I've seen, like people like at at the organization are just like relooking at the same organization, re researching it again, like month over month because they don't like have their previous notes or, or whatever.
1: Right. And then you end up building that same deck like 40 times instead of just, just having that one, you know, resource available that you can then pull from. Um, yeah. I, uh, yeah. It's, um, I'm just kind of laughing in my head about how, how I wish that I didn't know how that, how that process works sometimes. Um, uh, <laughs> cause we've certainly, certainly done reinvented that wheel a few times over here, over here at Relish. So what are some of the things that some of the most successful nonprofits are doing uh, that are, that's different from, um, you know, from, from the, the standard way that, that people are responding to grants?
0: Yeah, I think that there's, um, there's three things at a very high level. And some of it we touched on, but um, a couple that we haven't. So the first is like, in terms of like, you know, top three things to be successful. One is like making sure that you're actually ready to win grants. So that means having strong, sustained programs that are operating that you can point to as, um, you know, successes when you're making these grant applications. And then also having an organizational capacity to like implement programs, report back, mm-hmm. and like and actually consistently apply for grants. I would say the second is making contact, building relationships, the same you would for major donors, and um, we talked about that as well. I think the 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 one thing that I'll say that you know one tip here that people don't try uh, that I that I have you know that I, I tend to recommend is to is to like really go, go deep in trying to figure out how you can make a connection with the funder and like obviously you have your board um that can possibly help you and your network um but figure out how to go deeper with them like i wouldn't just go to your board and say hey do you know anybody at you know this fund this organization i would actually try to pull up like a list of people that work at the at that foundation for example and, and like present that to your board and then if not then i might try to also um ask them if they know anybody who might know somebody who works at that board. So like also try to get to their second and third degree connections. And you can also use LinkedIn for that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing that I, that I almost see, like I never see folks doing is um, actually, and this you have to be like sensitive about and, and be like careful about how you approach this is that is actually reaching out to um, previous grant recipients of that funder, uh, which you can see on tools like instrumental. So if you have like an organization that's close to you or you think you know could be aligned or maybe even like know somebody at that organization, starting the conversation off by saying, like, hey, like I saw you applied to you know so and so foundation, just wanted to understand like what the process was like and you know, you know chat with you for you know 10, 15 minutes about your your advice on how to be successful with them. And if you're able to build a good relationship with that grantee, it could make sense at some point to, Ask if they're willing to like make the connection if if there's alignment there and anytime you're doing that as you're like kind of making these connections with people um, also being open to helping them Um, Mm -hmm. will just like tend to open doors in the longer term so like when you're reaching out to make this connection get on the call with them you know always end the call or before you end the call make make sure you're asking them like what you could do to help and and potentially seeing if you can open doors Um, and then I would say the last Oh, higher our like over overall tip that i would have to be successful is to like really be scrutinizing with the funders that you're going after to make sure that you're prioritizing your time effectively so like in that example where like a, a nonprofit might be like kind of overly eager and like kind of dash out and apply to five grants and then they're kind of like demoralized and i think that's the situation that i really try to um try to work against is is actually it's almost like a morale issue and that's <laughs> that's important to make sure is high at throughout the process and especially initially so that you actually have the um you know the the perseverance to, to continue on with this process given that it will take some time for these um uh, these feedback cycles uh, to take into effect and so you know a couple things that you might you'd want to look at there is is um you know at a high level like are you truly aligned with the funders giving priority like does it really make sense for you to pursue this funder and if you feel like you're stretching to uh to like meet what the funders looking to fund then it may not make sense to prioritize that and you might be better served to you know spend more time on a on an application or a relationship that you feel like is more aligned Um, and one couple of ways that i recommend folks really understanding that alignment besides looking at the website um, is to also see if you can um, if they're a private funder look at their um, past grantees and see what i what I call like their implicit preferences like funders will regularly say things explicitly on their website and then you will look mm-hmm. at who they have funded in the past and you'll see that it's actually different um, and you have to use both of those pieces of information their implicit and explicit um, preferences to make call on if it makes sense for you to for you to, um, uh, pursue that funder. Um,
1: yeah. So basically looking and seeing if, if, if they're talking explicitly about every size nonprofit is, is, uh, it's on the table, but then you go and look at past, past funded nonprofits and they're all gigantic. Then, um, if you're a small nonprofit, it might be worth reconsidering the time and energy that you want to put into that particular opportunity.
0: Yeah. Or you could make a rule that's like, you know, for that funder, because, it, you know, we, you know, maybe we, we meet their explicit preferences that they're stating, mm-hmm. but when I look at their grantees, I don't seem like I'm a good fit. Like, then you might tell yourself, well, I'm not going to apply unless I can get some confirmation from the funder that it actually makes mm-hmm. sense. And you might write them an email and say like, Hey, like I'm noticing that you're, you know, tending to focus on larger national orgs. We technically meet your criteria, but want to make sure it makes sense for us to apply.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and that's also just a, a part of relationship building and just asking those questions and and being willing to put yourself out there because i think that that that's a place where at least i i see in in you know the sales world um where there there are missed opportunities to to understand that <clears throat> that that's a back and forth um oppor- you know Transactional kind of a relationship in terms of somebody's asked a question, somebody's given some value, um, and and just the fact that that there's a conversation going at this point, that I would think would you know, potentially set you apart. Um, that's also an opportunity if they say, you know what, you're right, uh, we do tend to go with with larger organizations than than you, um, you know, than you are. You have the opportunity to ask them for advice or or for um, introductions to other other grant programs that they might be aware of that would be a better fit.
0: Totally. Yeah. That's a great point. Um, love that advice.
1: So you mentioned LinkedIn is, are people using sales navigator effectively for the research and, um, and then connection making, is that the, the tool within LinkedIn that you, that you're seeing people use? Well,
0: that's a great question. Um, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if, 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 that, how heavily that's being used. I do know that, um, I, I think that if you are using LinkedIn, I, I would actually, yeah. Can we, can we cut that? Can we, can I start over on this? Yeah, sure. Um, I guess, yeah. In terms of LinkedIn, I would say, um, I think the real question is I don't, I don't actually know the answer to that. Um, and I think that overall I do hear that, like I do see that like LinkedIn is being underutilized um, and I, I, that would be a great question is to actually see yeah. how much folks are like aware of and using sales navigator.
1: Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not sure if nonprofits are using sales navigator effectively or at all. Um, <clears throat> I have used it in the past. So for those who are unfamiliar, sales, Navi- Net, blah, sales navigator is a feature of LinkedIn. It's a paid feature. I believe that it is in the 80 to hundred dollar a a month range, you can kind of turn it on and off. So if you're doing prospecting, and you want to go go hard on it for for a month, you can leverage it, then turn it off and then turn it back on. So you don't necessarily have to think about spending uh, or investing $1,200 a year in in the service. But what it does do is it enables you to not only send uh, messages to people that you're not Currently connected with, um, but it also allows you to do a lot of of uh, you know heavy research into people's connections. So if there's a a foundation, for example, that you're that you're wanting to um, get an understanding of of who you might know who people in your network might know within that organization um linked sales navigator with, within linkedin allows you to kind of dig out that information and see where there are potential first second third um type of connections that you could then um leverage to get introductions or or find out more about the opportunity um so i could see it working pretty well in the nonprofit space um as as an additional tool and um, you know, many, many organizations, I I guess, social media uh, platforms like LinkedIn um, do provide some nonprofit uh, resources. Um, I also know that there's, there are, um, or there are nonprofit resources for sure on LinkedIn, but there also might be opportunities to get like a nonprofit rate on sales navigator. So it might be worth checking out.
0: Yeah. And the the other thing I'd add there is that um, like the way that I would recommend nonprofits use it for you know, for looking at connections, is to make sure that that you have all of your board members and all of your like employees, um, basically like anybody like in your network that they're like, actually connected to you on LinkedIn. So that when you're using Sales Navigator and you look up a person at a foundation, you can actually see if you have any like um, second degree or third degree connections if you don't have a first degree one.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. A lot of times it's that who knows, who knows who, who knows somebody that's the, that's the, the game winner for, for people out there. Um, It's, you know, it's like, oh, well, I don't know this guy, but then you start to look through and and there's somebody that you both know, and that can be a, a really good way to get an introduction. Totally. Are there, I mean, we've, we're sort of diving into mindset shifts a little bit here. Um, you know, you've, you've mentioned just kind of the, um, you know, playing the long game and understanding that this isn't a, a quick fix and, and really having some self-awareness as to the maturity of, of one's own um, nonprofit and, and where, where you are in your organization's life cycle um, to, you know, whether or not you're ready for grant uh, grant funding and, and, and that type of of effort that it's going to take to, uh, to play really effectively in that space. What are, what are some other shifts that, uh, that you see nonprofit leaders or, or, you know, even grant writers within nonprofits n- needing to make or what they would benefit from to, uh, you know, to, to kind of do their job more effectively and, and have more either at bats or, or, or hits.
0: Yeah, I think the biggest one, and and I know this is like you know t- talked about a bit in the nonprofit space, is like is like truly having an abundance mindset versus a scarcity mindset. And I think the first thing to clarify here is that like putting like having abundance mindset is not all on the nonprofit. Like putting that all on them isn't exactly fair. When a lot of that, the reason to have a, you know, a lot of nonprofits have a scarcity mindset comes from you know the funders and the ecosystem and 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 donors and things like that. Um, I liken it to um, to the kind of lean in book that um, like that whole movement. And I think, you know, on the one hand, like, great, you tell women to lean in, like they should lean in and, and like raise their hands, but also like there's a systemic issue at play that also needs to be part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I will say in terms of, you know, how a nonprofit could kind of have a mindset shift that might be helpful to them is to um, really try to like, equalize in their mind, even though the system is not necessarily gonna support it, equalize in their mind the just like the dynamic, the power dynamic between them and, and their donors. And like the way that I think about it is that, you know, there are hundreds of billions of dollars that are given out each year to nonprofits. And that's like people are altruistic, yes, but it's it's not purely altruism. Like people have a problem that they're trying to solve when they're giving away their money. They have an outcome that they'd like to see in the world. Um, you know and, and you see this regularly, right? Like something happens in the world and and donations are kind of pouring into that, that kind of cause area. And a lot of times it's not even the nonprofit that's like raising their hand. It's that these people or these funders, they want to contribute to some sort of outcome. And like, this is the most effective way to do that if they're not going to actually go like start or work at a nonprofit themselves. Um, mm-hmm. And I think really sh- shifting the mindset from feeling like you are kind of, you know, asking or, you know, sometimes people say begging like funders or donors to really having the, like coming from a position, feeling like you're coming from a position of strength where you, you know, ideally have laid the groundwork to say like, I'm solving an important need. Like I've had, you know, some level of success with the, my initial programs that I've run. And, and now I'm going to um, kind of help almost like help donors, help funders, um, like have the outcome that they're that they'd like to have, I just need to kind of connect with the right ones and like tell them that story. Um, That's a mindset shift that I feel like um, from a fundraising standpoint, I found to be the most powerful.
1: Yeah, it's almost a a power, power dynamic shift where instead of coming into it as the, as the beneficiary, it's that you're helping them achieve the goals that they're trying to achieve through through their foundation um, and the, and the grants that they're, that they're giving. And, and it, I think, I I mean, I love that uh, idea of, of that mindset shift that it's, it's not that you're the one who's getting all of the benefit here. It's that, that there's a mutual um, value exchange going on. And, um, and your, your organization is a, is a big part of that. Um, uh, That's a, that's a really cool way of, of uh, kind of, reinventing that that relationship Mm
0: -hmm. yeah and i think like one way in specifically that i think that can even come up come into play with grants is um like when you're like you want to get to a place where you like i said you're coming from a position of strength and you have evaluated a funder or an opportunity and you are like you should get to a place where you're like okay this is like should be a no-brainer for this funder to fund me and and then if you're rejected Um, you know, I think you want to approach that with like genuine curiosity because you have a hypothesis that like you were a really good fit that you were solving a problem for this funder, Mm -hmm. um, or able to solve the problem that this funder was, you know, trying to trying to solve themselves. And, and then if you're rejected to like, yeah, approach that with curiosity and really try to inform that hypothesis and like continually improve so that the next time around you're, you're potentially able to, um, bake in, in those learnings. Um, but not, not getting ideally like not getting like demotivated or anything like that. Um, um, if you can really kind of start from that position of like, well, you know, like of, of like you being like a no brainer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that approach and it's something that we do here at Relish as well, where if there's an opportunity that we are participating in and we do not get selected, um, as the, the, you know, the vendor for that, uh, opportunity. We always go back and ask if there are things that, that we could improve upon who they went with. Um, it, it just gives us some data, um, or, or, you know, a, a data set from which we can start to, um, make assessments and make, make adjustments to improve the way that we show up in the future. And, um, you know, just coming at it that everything there's, there's inherently no, you know, black or white, good, good, bad in any any situation, um. But everything does have the uh, ability to to be a learning opportunity, um. And and yeah, I think I, th- I mean I like the uh, the positive attitude and coming at it that it's a no brainer. But uh, but also um, you know, that's cool that that you're recommending that people try to figure out where the gaps are, uh, in a, every opportunity in every situation so that they can improve upon their performance next time.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah. And you, and you just want to kind of bake in that learning process when you're getting started with, with grants so that you, um, like I said, don't get like kind of overly demotivated if the first couple ones don't, um, work out because you're going, you know, you're going through that learning process. It makes sense.
1: Yeah. 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 It's funny. We, um, I think people have a tendency to, to believe that, that they're going to hit a home run the first time they, they step up to the plate and (laughs) to use a baseball metaphor. And, and that's just, I mean, certainly there are, there are people who, um, may have, may have achieved that. Uh, however, I I would say that that's a a rarity that we all just need a bunch of, a bunch of swings and a bunch of at-bats to, to get good at, uh, even, even you know the grant writing process and and uh and just you know learning how to do that more effectively did, did is that a piece is that kind of triage or not triage actually after the fact kind of um post mortem um is that a piece of of what instrumental does does do, do you allow people to track um, track those wins losses and, and kind of gain data based, uh, information from, from that. Yeah, that's it.
0: Totally. Yeah. That's a huge part of, um, instrumentals value is actually building the system, um, for you, uh, where you're, it's not just like finding the opportunities, but you actually have, um, like, like you mentioned, like almost like a CRM specifically for grants so that, you know, when, if you don't win a grant, you can mark that in, to instrumental, you can write the feedback that you got from that funder ideally, mm-hmm. um, and then you can, you know, create your application for kind of set up an application for the next time around, um, baking into baking in those learnings,
1: right. So let's talk about efficiencies. It feels like <clears throat> this is a, a place where uh, you know almost every organization out there, nonprofit, for profit, um, can can benefit from from some guidance and some clarity. Um, what are some of the some of the things that you would see um, people being able to change, uh, you know, right off the bat to to improve their efficiencies, with particularly with grant writing.
0: With the actual writing process, or you mean the overall
1: with with that entire process, right? Um, you know, you've it sounds like Instrumental has a lot of this baked into uh, to the program and to the to the platform itself. Um, but are there other areas where where people are wasting time?
0: Yeah, I would say that um, I think you know, yeah, there's certainly a lot baked into the platform with kind of connecting you to the right opportunities and kind of giving you that workflow um i think in terms of other efficiencies like other inefficiencies where i see a lot of um that often comes into play with like the collaboration and reporting piece um Mm -hmm. so i see folks spending a lot of time like creating kind of custom spreadsheets or even like kind of funder briefs or opportunity briefs that they can like they're collecting from different data sources like the funder's website and the 990 and and whatever and putting together in one place so they can present to their team Um, or um, just like kind of a pipeline summary of like progress if they need to present that to their board Um, or like creating a report of like all of the kind of grants that they're researching so they can ask their their board members if they have a connection Um, so that's that's all like very automated and easy to do with an instrumental which saves people a ton of time um, especially if you're a grant writing consultant, um, which we work, I'd say like 10, 15% of our customer base are actually consultants working with many nonprofits and, you know, creating, making sure your clients are up to date on your progress is a huge kind of pain point for them. And we, we, uh, simplify that. Um, oh, that's really, yeah. that's
1: really cool to know that you have that ability for someone who, um, who works in, in the space as, as kind of a, you know, a, a, a contractor based, uh, grant support, um, that instrumental could actually be leveraged by, by that type of individual as well. Um, that's really cool that you opened up the platform in that capacity.
0: Yeah, actually it happened, you know, totally organically when the, they I would say consultants are some of our, like most, um, like, like our biggest advocates because they get, you know, even more value out of the platform because they're doing it. They're doing prospect research or tracking for multiple clients at one time. And, A couple of months ago, we actually launched a consultant-specific plan that makes it easy for you to organize your client profiles in one place um, and stay keep your work organized by client. And then also, we actually have a lot of um, consultants that have nonprofits have their own instrumental account, and so they're and they're able to essentially link all of those different instrumental accounts into one and like navigate between those kind of like workspaces on Slack. Um, which has made mm-hmm. the lives of consultants a lot um easier.
1: Yeah, that just sounds amazing as as a you know, a, an organization that has a variety of of different clients and a bunch of things kind of going on <clears throat> excuse me at once. I can really see the benefit of of having that um you know, that single research, research tool, that single kind of automation platform where it just makes everything uh, you know, more streamlined for all of those clients, as well as helping, helping you keep everybody, um, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, organized and, and enables you to do a even better job, um, you know, bringing in grants for, for all of your clients. That's great that you have that as an option for people who are out there, um, in the, in that grant grant support space, uh, for a variety of nonprofits.
0: Totally. Yeah.
1: What do you see? I mean, you work with a lot of nonprofits. What What do you see? Are some of the bigger challenges that that they face, um, you know, not only in the grant writing process, but but perhaps in other other areas of their of their organization that um, that you you know that you would love for people to be able to to have a have an effect on and, and become uh, the, the best organization that they can.
0: Yeah. I would say that the biggest area outside of grants that definitely touches grants a lot. And there's like kind of common, it's a common pain point that's mentioned in the nonprofit space is essentially like capacity, right. Mm -hmm. Um, capacity and, and related to that is, is talent. Um, and I think this also touches on like this kind of abundance mindset versus scarcity mindset. And, and, and also just like the system of that nonprofits live in where they're always trying to keep down costs because that's like, you know, what the funders care about just leads to this cycle where um, they're, you know, on a meta level, like their biggest blocker to success and and impact is just capacity, Um, which is, which is um, yeah. Hard to hear because it's, it's so, like I would say for most small to medium sized organizations like that, if you talk to any executive director, that will be like the number one thing on their mind.
1: It's how to, how to overcome this capacity challenge and, and get good talent on board. Um, I would say that extends beyond the the nonprofit space at this point. Um, for sure. I did have, uh, I don't know if you know, Sherry Quam Taylor. She was on the show, um, a little while ago, um, a few weeks ago, I believe. And, um, one of the things that she mentioned in this, in the same sort of mindset shift um, abundance thinking um, arena, one of the things that she talked about that I thought was just great was the idea that instead of f- trying to fundraise for your team, so basically saying, okay, well, we need, we need this kind of team to do the, the good work that we want to do. And, so we need to go fundraise this amount of money for that team, uh, just kind of shifting the mindset that we're that this is what we're building and that it it just changes the the way that that people forecast uh so basically put Put the team into the budget and then go get the money, as opposed to go going and getting the money and then putting the team in the budget. Um, which I thought was just kind of an interesting way to kind of flip that narrative. And you know, one of the things that the, I tell clients all the time, and when I'm coaching them, is that you don't have to come up with the entire uh, salary upfront um, in order to bring somebody in. You you just need to to come up with maybe a couple of months of that salary in order to feel confident that uh, that that you're going to be able to to sustain that type of hire. Um mm-hmm. you know it's something that I've struggled with for sure where I start thinking oh man I need to get you know 120,000 bucks put together to to you know hire this this person that we would really like to have on the team and it's like well you know no, you just need 10,000 a month. Um mm-hmm. and uh and so it's uh, it's really interesting to you know when you can wrap your arms around that that type of uh that type of shift
0: yeah. And I, I also like, I think it's also something that is important to, you know, for folks that are like starting nonprofits or like earlier on is, is to actually think about like this problem from day one, right? Like this is like the core, one of the core challenges is like actually making sure that you have this kind of, um, the right talent, um, which is challenging because of, you know, of like needing to kind of fundraise, but actually, trying to figure out like that that's like a big risk to your success as an organization and I always think that it's you want to like address your risks like as early as possible and mm-hmm. I think like figuring out um, how like not like lowering the bar in terms of the talent you can get or not like undervaluing the talent from the beginning like making sure that you have a clear idea of like the kind of the level of talent and like what you're gonna be able to pay them like from the beginning, that you think is going to be necessary to make this organization successful. And then saying like, and then really trying to figure out like, so if that's like what I, if, if that's what we need, then, um, you know, really figuring out what the right funding strategy is like from the beginning, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and if, if that funding strategy for some reason isn't there, then you might need to actually change something about like the core model of your organization.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's really, um, it's it's like putting together a business plan before you start the business, um, as opposed to after the fact. And I know that there are plenty of entrepreneurs out there who who have skipped that step. But but yeah, but forecasting and really coming up with 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 that plan um, early on is is uh, that's going to be a key to to making sure that you can stay on it.
0: Yep. Yeah.
1: Well. I really appreciate you being on the show with me today, Gari. I had a really fun time talking with you and learning a lot more about grants and grant writing and, and what you can do for uh, nonprofits and, and people in the uh, in that industry to help them streamline their processes here and, and become even more successful than they already are. Um, What, uh, where can people find out more about instrumental?
0: Yeah. So it's, uh, we're easy to find. It's www.instrumental.com. It's spelled instrument and then the letter L.com. So it's missing that last A. And if you go to the website, you'll see that we have a 14-day free trial. So you can try this out totally risk-free. You don't even have to put a credit card in. And so at the very least, you'll hopefully come away with some opportunities that you can you can pursue. And best case scenario, you'll find that it's something that makes sense for your long-term use as you're building your infrastructure, your grant infrastructure. And if you do uh, end up wanting to move forward with a subscription, we have a a code for this podcast that you can use to get a discount. It's relish this 50 um, that you can use on the checkout page and get $50 off your monthly or annual subscription. And if you're not quite ready for, um, you know, using a tool for like instrumental, you you can check out our blog instrumental.com slash blog. And we're regularly creating like totally free content about, you know, how to, get ready for for grants. We're putting out webinars uh, regularly with grant experts um, that join us. And again, it's all totally free.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. And thank you so much for offering that um, that that generous offer to, uh, to our listeners. I, I'll definitely post that in the show notes. Um, I really, I really do appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today. It's been so much fun. I love conversations and having these conversations, but I also want to instill in people this idea that we can all have an opportunity to go take some action. Um, you know, whether that be go plant a tree or go, uh, you know, visit instrumental and find out if, if, uh, if their program is, is right for you after listening to the show today, what would you have, uh, have our listeners do?
0: Oh, that's a great question. I mean, there's so many things. Um, I would say that if I were to have you take any action, it would be to um, if there's somebody that you have been delaying, like asking for a introduction to somebody, um, it's actually asking them to make that introduction to, to that funder or to that partner or whoever, whoever that could be.
1: That is a great piece of advice and a good action item for everybody to, uh, to follow suit. Just go out and make uh, connections and ask for, ask for those introductions. It's, uh, it, it- it doesn't hurt at all to do that. Thank you so much for being on the show today. I appreciate it so much. And I look forward to continuing our conversation in the near future.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Thanks, Gary. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. And there you have it. Another great episode of relish this. Thanks again for listening. You can find past episodes of the show at relishthis.org. And remember, If you liked what you heard today, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information on purpose marketing, grab your free copy of my book, Mission Uncomfortable, How Nonprofits Can Embrace Purpose-Driven Marketing to Survive and Thrive. Get your copy now at missionuncomfortablebook.com. Thanks again for listening. Come back next week, won't you?